Alex shared with us last week a um, fabulous little chat as we sat around in Tiny Church, which wasn't actually that tiny in the end, uh, but we talked all around um, being made in the image of God. We talked about all kinds of things, but creation was a little part of it. And so Alex and I have been chatting about what, what's next on our preaching agenda and the idea that we can learn from uh, people of faith, people of God, we thought whether they're biblical or whether they're um, anyone, it would be good to start looking at particular people and particular groups of people and saying, what do that, does that group of people have to say to us today? So I can see you've got, yep, slides are up. So Michael Crichton, and I don't totally agree with this uh, quote, but I think you'll get the gist. If you don't know history, then you don't know anything. That's the part I'm like, ah, ah, um, but, but knowing history is really important because if you're a leaf that doesn't... Hang on. If you don't know history, you don't know anything, you are a leaf that doesn't know it's part of a tree. So this idea that we can understand more of who we are as people and as the people of God by understanding who's come before us. So we're starting off this little series on people the people of God. It's a very big, broad topic, but not moving very far on from where um, Alex talked to us about last week. Um, We're starting in Genesis and starting with Abraham because, you know, good patriarch to start with. And we may not feel an immediate connection with Abraham. Um, You might not feel very Jewish, um, but you don't have to. It's the people of God. and, And here is the story of a person who decided to follow God. So um, important person to look at, and I think an important person to look at in the current era we're in. So let me unpack that a little bit. If I've had coffee with you in the last few weeks, you have heard me bang on about this book, and I will continue to do that because I love it and I think it gives us a little glimpse of where we're at in history. So it's Mark Sayers, A Non-Anxious Presence, Mark is a great social commentator, but I don't know if this is a thing, but I feel like he's a prophetic social commentator. He's a Melbourne pastor. He gets, he just gets it. He reads the times well. And so um, without going into the non-anxious part, sorry, I'm not heading there today, he spends half the book talking about uh, where we're at in history to understand why it's so important for leaders and for Christians and people of faith to be a non-anxious presence because we are in anxious times. So before we look at Abraham, let's look at where we're at so we can link the two together. So Mark Sayers talks about us being in a grey zone. He spends a lot of the book talking about this grey zone. This is lifted straight from the book and that's why you can see the printing on the back. So it's not a great image, but you get the idea that we have been in an era and we are heading to a new era, but we're not there. We've sort of got a foot in this era and a foot in this era era, and we are in the grey zone. We're in this confusing kind of unknown time where some people are pulling towards the old and some people are grasping towards the new, but we're not really totally in either one of them. Now, every era in history has had this happen. When the Roman Empire was in charge, when that was the era, 
there would have been a grey zone leading into, I suppose, the Dark Ages. And the Dark Ages to the Middle Ages, and Middle Ages to Enlightenment. I'm not sure I've got that trajectory right. But for every era we've experienced, we have to move out of the one and get to the other. But it is the most profoundly uncomfortable place to be. And as a community and as individuals and as families and as generations, we feel the pain of being in the grey zone. So... During the pandemic, it wasn't the pandemic that pushed us into the grey zone. It accelerated us into the grey zone. So it just it just sped it up, really. And Danny Rodrick, who's a social commentator, said, the crisis seems to have thrown the dominant characteristics of each country's politics into sharper relief. Countries have, in effect, become exaggerated versions of themselves. So if you are clinging to the old, you are becoming very nationalistic. Think the US. You don't have to look far, do you? I'm clinging to the old, my independence. This is, this is the era of individualism and capitalism and I have to hold on to that and anchor myself into it and other people are saying no we need to come out of it and so we're seeing this polarization the polarization makes perfect sense when you consider where we're at so in nations across the world there's a whole range of social issues that have been simmering below the surface and issues like racism religious tensions sexism the environment the problems of the era we've come from are intensified even as we're passing out of it. It's, it's confusing. It's very confusing times to be in, particularly if you've known a different time. The thing about coming into a new era, though, is that there is this decentralised power. And I won't talk much about this because this is kind of off the topic of Abraham. The rest is relevant. But I feel like this is important to note that when, in the passing era, power structures were known. They were found in political parties, they were found in the institutionalised church, they were found in all kinds of big business, big corporations. But now what we're seeing is a decentralised power. Without going into all of that, if you're a digital native, you can probably make your way around this decentralised power, easy, feels comfortable, feels normal, but if you are used to knowing where the power structures lie, this is an incredibly scary time. And so you want to drop anchor back in the old era. So for people, what did you say this morning, Kate? We're kind of the average age of <laughs> the median age of this church. We sit in the grey zone just because we're not quite in this era and we can relate to or sort of see what the, the new generations are feeling but, and it makes your head spin. It absolutely makes your head spin. So for those who are comfortable with decentralised power, it makes sense. For those who don't understand it, it, you long for the power and control of the era that's passing. So things like regionalism, nationalism, political parties you can grab hold of, single issue causes um, or self-expression become those things that are, become really tense. We, we're moving on to Abraham in a sec, but... Um, Danish social scientist Bjorn Thomason, he notes that in the in-between times, um, there's a peculiar kind of unsettling situation in which nothing really matters 
in which hierarchies and standing norms disappear, in which sacred symbols are mocked at and ridiculed, in which authority in any form is questioned, taken apart and subverted. That which was accepted is now continually challenged. And for some people they go, yes, and that's terrible. And some people go, yes, and that's brilliant. That shows that we're pulling and pushing between eras. We're moving to Abraham. Turn to Genesis chapter 12. But here is just something to be said, and I'm sure we'll come back to good old Mark Sayers uh, in the coming weeks. But um, but as we as we think about um, this era, one thing that Mark Sayers notes is that we will discover that in the in-between moments, there is so much potential. We can't just see this as a difficult time where we're all going to wrestle and feel confused. He said they are filled with potential. They are the moments over which the Spirit of God hovers, waiting to bring new creation. Grey zones are filled with pressure and chaos, yet they are where God does some exceptional work inside his people. So we have to keep that in mind. We need to know where we're at. We need to know that God is still doing something. And with that in mind, we think about Abraham and we think about what he did, leaving that which he knew and moving into something completely unknown. So we can very much relate to his feeling, despite despite the fact this is an ancient manuscript. These early stories of the patriarchs, See, later on, as we go further into the Old Testament, we can say, ah, those were the times in history and we can join all the dots between what the ancient manuscripts we found and what the Bible says, but not here. Here this is so ancient that we have almost a, 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 a quite a, a, a wooden understanding. The, the, all the richness of the history around it we can't really fill in. And yet it is still so important that we look to these early followers of God to see how they responded in the ancient world so that we can understand a little bit about how we need to respond in the modern world. So there's a little brief history of Abraham's family in Genesis 11 and then in Genesis 12 it says this, The Lord said to Abram, I'll say Abram but I'm going to refer to him as Abraham. If you're unaware, he moves from being Abram to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah, just I'm going to call him Abraham most of the time. God says, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went. So important to note. God calls him and he goes. And Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Then from verse 6 we see what Abraham does. He starts to mark out where God has called him to. Abraham travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah in Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, 
to your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to God. And we see, we see Abraham put altars out and about in places where he says, God says, this is your land. This is the land I'm calling you to. My question is this, and it's not rhetorical. Did Abraham act in faith or fear? Did he respond? Did he? Just the answer I was expecting from you, Lisa. Did Abraham respond out of fear or faith? Yes. I would highly encourage you in any quiet moments you get this week to read through the story of Abraham. He's called into this unknown land and he goes. And we go, wow, this is a hero of the faith. This is someone who went, this is scary, like us. In a, we're in this era, we're in this era, we're in the grey zone and we can respond out of all that fear that says, I, do, I don't know where I'm at, I don't know where I'm going. And we, we look to Abraham, we go, yes, here is a man who said, God's calling me into the unknown and I will go. I'll go. And he acts in absolute faith. But then he doesn't. So not long after that, or in this version of the story, not long after that, he has to go to Egypt. Now, whether his, whether his acting out of fear was going to Egypt in the first place because there was famine where he had come from, whether the, whether the fear was going to Egypt in the first place or whether it was just the act that happened when he was there, what does he do? Passes off his wife as his sister because he says, it's not going to go well for me if they discover that you're my wife and you're really beautiful and, and, and I'll, be, I'll suddenly be the enemy. So he passes her off as his sister. It does not end well. Sure, he escapes with his wife and his family and all his possessions, but what kind of damage has that done? What kind of damage has that done to Sarah, which is, of course is not explored at all here? But when we act out of fear, when our response to whatever situation we find ourselves in, whatever unknowns that we start to feel anxious, when we respond out of fear and everything is driven by needing to control the situation, that's when things can go pretty wrong. So Abraham has so much to offer us because if you, if you choose this week to read just a few chapters between chapter 12 and I'm not sure where it finishes, this is, this is a roller coaster ride of obedience and disobedience, acting out of faith, acting out of fear. And I wonder if you can recall a time right now when you have said, sure, God's calling me to this thing or God's calling me to take this position or God's calling me to hold this stance, move, not move, whatever it might be. Can you recall a time when you have acted out of faith? I can think of a few. I can think of a few moments where I've gone, this is scary, but I know God's calling me to X. And I can also recall times where I've gone, no, no, I need to stay in control in this moment. And this grey zone we're in, it naturally leads us to want to fortify the walls, keep everything contained, control everything in our life that we can and yet that's sometimes the, sometimes the moment when God says, it's time to go, it's time to move, 
whether it's in your thinking, whether it's in your job, whether it's in your friendship group, whatever it might be, sometimes that's when God says, now I want you to act out of faith. It's really difficult though, isn't it? Uh, If we had time, I would pause here and ask people like Howard and Gillian how they felt when they were called to go overseas into mission work, when Lindsay and Mandy were called to Youth Dimension. I mean, I could probably pick you everyone in this room and say, how did you feel when God called you to do that thing? How did you respond? How did you wrestle through that? They're important questions to be asking each other. They're important stories to be telling each other. There are people here who are considering doing really scary things. And so it's good to to boost each other up and say, actually, let me tell you a story from my life. Because we can act out of fear or we can act out of faith. And when I say fear, of course, I don't mean the feeling of being scared because fear and faith can sometimes, they're, they're like this. I'm talking about the fear that debilitates you to the point where you say, I'm not doing that, God. I'm not going where you've called me to go. That is far too hard. I'm not staying where you've asked me to stay because that's impossible. I would really encourage you to read those stories. But in the middle of all that, in Genesis 15 verse 1, um, God has this really beautiful moment with Abraham. Turn to it if you've got it in your Bible there, if you've got the Bible open. You would think, wouldn't you, that these moments where Abraham does completely the opposite of what what God calls him to do. When he goes into places he shouldn't, when he passes off his wife as his sister, how many times does he do that? Yeah, not just the once, that's twice. Sometimes we're a little slow to learn lessons. At those moments where we make those terrible mistakes, you would think that it would disqualify us. You would think that God who called him and said, you're my, you're my child, I need you to do what I'm asking you to do. When he dropped the ball, you would think that would be it. And yet it never is. It's not with him, it's not with David, it's not with Jeremiah, it's, it's not with you, it's not with me. God is very good at allowing us to make those mistakes and then saying, just come home, just come back. And there's such a moment in this continued calling of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 15, we read this. After this, and this is after Abraham rescues Lot, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. God said, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield and your very great reward. And if you know that story well, you know that after that moment, God takes him outside And he shows him the sky. I mean, I can't even imagine what the sky looked like. It's not like standing in Eltham or Doreen or anywhere else. This is in the middle of the desert. Shows him the stars and said, so shall your inheritance be. It's an amazing promise that took a very long time to be fulfilled. (coughs) But it's this beautiful moment of covenant. And we we read further about the, the covenant moment. But I want you to grab hold of this phrase. This is Abraham who sometimes acted out of fear and sometimes acted out of faith. God says clearly to him, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. 
So in the midst of the grey that we find ourselves in, not quite over a pandemic, mental health concerns all around us. For some of us, raising families who we feel like we haven't got quite as much grasp of as we used to. For those who are enduring all kinds of confusion and difficulty and pain, when we drop the ball and when we act out of fear and not faith, God still says to us, he still says to us in this grey this morning, he says, Lisa, do not be afraid. I am your shield and your very great reward. Isaac, don't be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. He says it to every single one of us this morning. He is our shield in the midst of confusion and pain and difficulty and joy because some people are looking to that new area and they're so excited. But at the end of the day, the only constant we see in all of human history is that God is the same yesterday, today and forever. So wherever we're at this morning, whether we're holding the ball, whether we've dropped the ball, whether we feel close to God or we don't, he tells us he's got us. He's holding us. He is our shield and our very great reward. So this week for you, I don't know what that looks like. I honestly don't know what it looks like for you to just be held in the moments of confusion and the moments of difficulty, in the grey, I don't know what that looks like for you, but I trust that God does. And I trust that as you go to him, as you release yourself to him, as you say, I want to follow you, not even totally sure how, that he will reassure you that he's got you, that he is your shield and your very great reward. So let's pray that now if you feel game, that we would offer ourselves yet again to the God who is full of grace and mercy and peace in the midst of confusing times. Father God, we thank you that you love us. That's almost amen right there. We thank you that you love us, that you are our shield and our very great reward. We thank you that whether we've dropped the ball or holding the ball or scared or not scared, whether we're excited for the future or dreading the future, you hold us in the midst of the grey. And we choose to say to you today, we trust you. We trust you with our lives, with our actions, with our minds and with this world that sometimes seems so scattered and confused but you totally get. We give ourselves to the God who is solid rock. Amen.